Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here, and uh, it's good to be in Seattle, isn't it? I feel like I have seasonal affective disorder in the summertime. It just seems really strange. But hey, you're here, and, and thank you for being here today. It's, it's so good to be with you. You know, when I plan out messages, you know, I often plan them out um, ahead of time, and I'll come up with these great ideas until I actually get up on stage, and I think, is this such a great idea? And we're going to a psalm, Psalm 51, and we're actually going to spend three weeks, and we're going to spend one more week next week really diving into what David wants. But today we're going to look at this, this picture of confession, which is a deep, personal moment in David's life. It's almost as if David opens this very vulnerable moment, this, this moment in which he's exposed and he's sharing the brokenness of his life, and he invites us into that. And so in the same way, I want to invite you into my life. You know, as a child, I experienced a lot of abandonment and rejection. And what that did is it made me open to addiction. And early on as a child, I fell into a deep addiction. And I don't know if this resonates with some of you, but I was simply living life and I came across these images, these magazines, these pictures. And as a a young 12-year-old, I didn't know what they meant, but I knew I was captivated. I was drawn into it. And it began to pull me in. It began to become an obsession and an addiction, almost to meet that need of intimacy and that feeling of acceptance that was just, for whatever reason, it it was missing in my own life. Now, as I started to grow up, it still held on to me, and I knew what I was doing was wrong. But in high school and even into college, I continued to hide. Because I thought if people really knew me, if they realized what I was doing, there was no way anyone could love me. And certainly once I had become a Christian my senior year in high school, I thought there's no way I could really love God and yet struggle so deeply and have so much shame in my life. And there were times in which I confessed and I found seasons of sobriety, but most of my sobriety was born out of willpower. I would confess a little, but I wouldn't let people into my life. And I thought, you know what? When I get married, right? Then all my troubles are going to go away because marriage just solves everything. And I confessed it to my wife and she in, in gracious love accepted me. And there was periods of sobriety in that. And yet that addiction continued to return because if you only address the symptoms of sin and you don't start to get down into the cause of what's beneath the surface, those roots are gonna grow back. And when they grow back, you'll find your shame begins to hide the very thing that God wants to expose in your life so that you truly find freedom. Because, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, how can I share again and again and again and again the thing that I've already confessed? Because if I really meant it, 
it would be gone in my life. And that's where I started to realize that confession is the pathway to freedom. It's not a moment of freedom. What David is confessing is not just a moment in which he sinned, but it's a process that recovery is not just expressing what's wrong in my life. It's a lifestyle of living in honesty before God and before others. And when you're accepted and loved by God and he fully knows you and fully sees you, there is a, a dimension of freedom that allows you to feel loved, accepted in a way you couldn't imagine before. You know, in my struggle in my own marriage, it ripped, it ripped a tear of hurt. I know it brought deep pain to the person who loved me the most. And I recall in many days living in self-hatred towards myself. Because here's what I thought. If I really believed, if, if I prayed harder, if I tried more, if I was just a better Christian, whatever that means, then I could simply just overcome. But see, that lie of self-sufficiency, what it does is it keeps us in secrecy and in this pattern of addiction. Because overcoming, it's not about the willpower to change. It's about the courage to be honest. It's about the courage to know the love of God, to know the vastness of his compassion and mercy towards us. And when you embrace that, the willingness to bring the truth of where you are into the light of those that are around you that love you the most. And I'm grateful to share that for the last 15 years, freedom is a reality. But it's hard won. It's, it's hard won. That recovery is not a destination, it is a lifestyle. And why do I begin with this today? I asked myself this, that very thing this morning. Are you really going to share that? But here's something I've realized. My weaknesses can teach you more about God's strength than my talents and abilities ever can. And God does more. He flows his divine power through our woundedness in a way that he doesn't so much in our abilities. And so we need to continue, just like David would, to retell and to retell the change that God has brought about in our lives. Because for David, this experience of adultery and murder was incredibly shameful. And yet because of what God had done in his life, this was something that he continued to share, that confession was not about failure. Confession is about, it's about victory. That what Satan intends to destroy us, God wants to use for good to liberate us and then understand through our liberation to bring freedom to others because it's that moment where you can look in the eyes of another human being and you can say, me too. Me too. I understand where you are. And so if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to turn to Psalm 51 as we jump into this moment in which David has sought to hide his own sin, to hide his own rebellion, to live in shame and guilt. And yet God, through his grace, sends this man, Nathan, into his life and wakes him up. So let's jump into it. Psalm 51, a prayer of confession. Verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. And hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will, do not, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, I'm going to pray for you, and would you pray for me? Father, I thank you that... um, that you are attracted to weakness. That your grace is drawn to those areas in which the power of Christ may dwell in our life. And yet, Father, we admit as just mere mortals that we are afraid so often to confess our fear, our anxieties, our sadness. We want to look strong in the face of others. And because of that, we fail to experience the fullness of your freedom, your love, your mercy for us. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray for us that, that as we walk through this passage, you would open to us a greater measure of freedom, and because of that, a greater vision of your love. Help us, Father, this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know the backdrop of Psalm 51. Adultery, murder, abuse of power, And David pours forth this very personal prayer. And yet realize this personal prayer, if you look at the introduction of this psalm, this personal prayer was actually to be used in the public gathering of worship, that David knew that his private confession would be a story that's repeated throughout history. And it starts off, this prayer is to a choir master. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This very personal prayer becomes a prayer of liberation for a nation. And you see it in verses 18 and 19. When you actually jump down to the end, you realize that this prayer for generations had been used to set many people free. Because in verse 18, it says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now there's a clue in this passage. Because see, when David was king, the walls of Jerusalem, they were fine. And what he's describing here is actually something that was gonna come much later. It describes this period which is called the exile in which the Babylonians had come in and wiped out the Israelites and taken them off into captivity. And now, many years later, they're using this psalm in their own life to examine their heart and to see their own spiritual idolatry, their own spiritual adultery. That instead of devoting their heart to God, their heart was running after the gods of the nations today that may be money or pleasure or power or wealth or significance. And they utilize David's prayer as a way to tap into their own need for God's forgiveness, mercy, and cleansing. And in the same way, this is a prayer that we can go to when we are caught in the mess of our own life. And this is how God responds to us. And there's three things I want to look at as we divide up this song. David prays three prayers. He prays, first of all, Father, forgive me. And he's going to acknowledge and name what he's done. And then second, he's gonna say, I don't wanna just be forgiven. I don't wanna escape consequences. I wanna be changed. And see, a forgiven life and a changed life, the last thing he prays is, God, now you can use me. Because I'm forgiven, because I'm changed, Father, you can use me. So first of all, he says, forgive me. The first step is just to own the truth about where you are. That's what Adam and Eve are afraid to do, right? Where are you? And I think God through the Holy Spirit may be saying to some of us today, where are you? Why the fig leaf? Why do you need to hide from me? See, the first step is just simply to name what's going on in our life, and David uses three words. Now, they look like theological words, but they're not just theological, they're deeply personal, words to describe the sin that he had fallen into in verses one and two. Watch this. It says, have mercy on me, O God. And then he says, blot out my transgression. That's the first word. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and then finally, cleanse me from my sin. Now, we tend to think of sin as one word, sin. But in the Hebrew, there's actually a number of words. Now, first of all, transgression means outright rebellion. David knew what was wrong, and he didn't care. Can you identify with that? God, I don't care about your standards. I don't care about what you want. I just want what I want. And he confesses that rebellion to God and God accepts him in that state. And then iniquity, which is both a behavior and a condition. We're gonna see that condition in verse five when he talks about that he was sinful from birth. That iniquity means to be out of place. In some ways, it's like a bone that's out of joint. And what it does is it distorts. And what you need is healing, but what iniquity does is it takes God's good desires and applies them in ways he never intended. And it distorts our view of God, it distorts our view of ourself, it distorts our view of others. And he says, God, my desire for sex, my desire for life, it's all distorted. I need you to set my bones right. And then finally, he uses that familiar word, sin, which, which just simply means missing the mark, 
And then he makes this very bold request again in verse 1. And he says, God, have mercy on me. Now, considering what he's done, mercy is probably the last thing we would expect. But see, he knows the character of God. He says, God, even though I've rebelled against you, even though I don't care about your standards, have mercy on me because that's your character. And he goes on, he says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me from my sin. Realize each one of these statements is something David can't do for himself. Now, he tried to by hiding, and we've all tried that, but it doesn't wash you. It just causes you to drive deeper into the sin and into the rebellion that's already enslaved our lives. And he says, God, blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my iniquity. This alone is something that God wants to do for us. And then notice in verse 4, he makes this wild statement considering how much devastation David has brought into the lives of others. In verse 4, he says, against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and you are blameless in your judgment. God, you have the right to condemn me because I have sinned against you alone. Now, when you look at that storyline, you say, wait a minute, David, I think you've done more than sin against God. Because if I can get the story right, there was adultery, there was murder, there's conspiracy to murder, there's abuse of power towards your family and the nation. I think you've sinned against a lot of people. But David realizes that every sin ultimately is a sin against the glory of God, that all have fallen short and all have sinned against the glory of God. And so what does David appeal to? If that was your condition, if that was your story, you would imagine that God does not have the mercy and the love to cover that kind of rebellion. And yet, again in verse one, notice what he appeals to. He says, God, have mercy. And why? According to your wrath? According to your hatred of my sin? Don't we tend to see God that way? We hide from him because we are afraid of him. And see, God has wrath towards sin. But the heart of the Father, when you turn to him in repentance, is steadfast love and abundant mercy. God hates what destroys the things he loves. God hates what destroys the things he loves, and God loves us. Just as a father, a mother hates the things in their child's life that destroys them, but they do not hate the child. And what God has done in the gospel is he's destroyed the penalty of sin without destroying the sinner. He's found a way to make us holy without reducing his standards, but instead seeing us as holy in his sight because of faith and what Jesus Christ has done. So he says, according to your love. When you confess to God, you look into the eyes of love. When you're afraid and you find yourself distant from God, you're looking into the eyes of abundant mercy. See, if you think you're looking into the eyes of wrath, you're never gonna be honest in confession. And see, God knows that. That's why he didn't set us, send us a list of rules. He sent us a person. He was called love incarnate, love divine. 
so that we could see what compassion looks like. As we read the stories of the New Testament, you start to see yourself in those pages, whether it's the woman caught in the act of adultery, whether it's a leper who's been cast out or someone who's just standing in pride, we see the grace of God towards sinners, towards us. And so understand when you confess, you're looking into the eyes of abundant mercy and love. Why do we know this? Because it's constantly repeated over and over again. Romans 2, 4, not knowing that God's kindness, God's kindness. Why should you confess today? Because God is kind and it's his kindness towards us that leads us to repentance. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Do you realize that? Because you may say there's no one that's tempted in the way that I am except God incarnate himself. He is tempted in every way as we are, yet he was out without sin, which means he can sympathize. And that is a unique vision of God. And think of it this way. How much compassion does God have towards your sin? Well, realize the prayer that we're supposed to pray daily says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If God is wrathful against your sin as you turn in compassion and humility towards him, he wouldn't put it in a prayer where he expects us to pray daily that there's something in my life that's blocking me from him. Because confession is not about listing off all the things that we've done. If you simply confess to God, well, I screwed up here, I screwed up there, what you're doing is you're looking into the eyes of wrath. But when you confess, what you're doing is saying, God, this is what's keeping me from your love. This is what's keeping me from your blessing. God, this is what's keeping me from your presence, and I want to offer it back to you. What confession is, is the restoration of relationship. It's not the lining up with law. But often when we approach God, don't we approach it as, I'm such a failure, I'm such a miserable human being. God, I, don't, I can't, that's not what confession is. Confession is, God, this is keeping me from knowing you. Would you wash it out? And would you cleanse me? In a sense, David's saying, would you see me to the core of who I am? And could you still love me? You know, James, this has been an important passage for me in my own life of confession because I lived for such a long time with self-hatred. When you have shame and shame becomes toxic shame, you begin to hate yourself. And James says this, and in James 1, verse 20, he says that the anger of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. And so often what we do is we, we want to go to the cross for our sin. We beat ourselves up, don't we? We call ourselves names. He's saying anger towards your own sin, it it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. You know, as God is kind towards you, can I tell you, you need to be, learn to be kind to yourself. You cannot love others unless you love yourself. And if God is kind towards you, it is a sin to be unkind towards yourself. To not give to yourself and offer to yourself what God gives you. Why do we need to walk in self-condemnation so much? Isn't it because we're trying to earn it? God, look, I'm so miserable, I must be a good person. It doesn't work. 
It's only when we, we lay our life down on the mercy of God that we realize, I can't do it. Only you can wash me. And so would you set aside that self-condemnation because it's a way of earning God's love and mercy, which you already have. See, it's God's compassion that leads us to confession. It's God's compassion that leads us to confession. And so to notice what he does in verses five, six, and seven, he goes on and says in verse six, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What he's referring to is honesty. Because David knew the truth. He had the knowledge of God, but he wasn't being honest with what was tempting him in life. And often before we fall into sin, there's temptation. If we just bring that to God and to others, we wouldn't find it has such a hold on our life. Because it's the tempter. It's the one who tempts us that on the one hand tempts us and then walks around the other side and, and says and condemns us and says, look at what you, what you want to do. And we find ourselves in this place of condemnation if we would just simply admit, I feel lost. I feel alone. I feel afraid. God knows where we are, but he wants us to admit it to speak the truth. And then he goes on and says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy, verse eight, and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. There's kind of an irony in verse eight that we think sin will bring joy. We don't pursue it because it's not pleasurable. But the reality is it steals joy because it steals relationship. And it blocks us from fellowship with God. And what David's confessing is, God, not just that I want to escape the consequences, God, I want you. I need you. And joy gets restored when relationships are renewed. Have you ever experienced that? A relationship that's fractured? And because of that, there's that tension between you. And then suddenly there's confession, there's reconciliation. Do you know the joy of being reunited with somebody you deeply love, and yet because of conflict, you find yourself separated from? That's what David's experiencing. But not with another human being, but with his creator, who not only loved him, but died for him. David is saying, forgive me, forgive me. And because he's saying, forgive me, the second prayer he goes to is, God, Change me. Help me to love the things that you love. Watch this, verse 10. He says, God, create in me a clean heart. I can't do it myself. And renew a steadfast, a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's saying, God, I can't do it alone. I need you. Do you know how fast God moves towards that prayer? What's the story that Jesus tells? When it comes to our rebellion and our sin, he tells a story about a prodigal son. And the father isn't on the porch cussing himself out. 
my sorry son. He has wasted his life. He is a joke. That's often how we talk to ourselves. What is this, the father doing? He's angry towards what's going on in his son's life, but his heart is so eager. If that son would just turn, he would find mercy and steadfast love and the father would run to him. That's how God responds to us. And when you experience that kind of acceptance, it causes the heart to change because it's the opposite of what you expect. And David is now in this place saying, God, change me. And he understands this is something that God alone can do can do for him. And notice in verse 11, what does David want? He says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, but instead restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That term willing spirit means a spirit that is willing to obey. And notice he's not going to willpower He's going to a place of vulnerability because God's power is perfected in his weakness. And he's saying, God, here is a temptation I can't resist. I need a willing spirit. I like how the message paraphrase captures this verse. It says something like this, put a fresh wind in my sails. I can't move unless the spirit of God blows in power. God, I want to obey, but help me. Do you cry out to God in those moments of weakness, not to beat yourself up, but have kindness and then say, God, I need you to change me. If you do, it's gonna show up in your relationship with others. Because if you know you need to be changed, you're gonna share that need for change with the people around you. Because what's most important to you is the presence of God and the presence of God, do you know he's in the people around you? They're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we just want this one-on-one -on -one relationship. I wanna keep my sin kind of right here. I don't wanna stand up and talk about my addictions and I get it, I feel the same way. But freedom is found when we bring it into God's presence and part of bringing it in God's presence is bringing it into the assembly of God's people. And God through his presence and the love of another human being, they say one, me too, and they say I still, I am here for you, I accept you. David's heart is changing. But I want you to notice something that I found interesting in verse 10. He says, create in me, did you see that? A clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word create is the same word in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And that word create is barah. God created the heavens and the earth and God hovered over. It says that there was chaos, which means everything was kind of a mess, right? Kind of like my life sometimes. And create just doesn't, it doesn't simply mean that God created the raw materials. When you read Genesis, it's about order. It's about taking this craziness of life and, and bringing purpose and reestablishing and reuniting and healing. And when we pray for God to create in us a clean spirit, it's that idea of God, here's my mess. Would you create out of that mess something beautiful? Could you use my sin in a way that brings truth and victory in life? And that's what God does. So that our failures are not our failures, our failures become stories of God's victory as he reorders your heart. 
Now listen, when you pray that, he's gonna answer it. And he's going to put you in situations where you're gonna have to start walking in honesty. Because the only way this freedom happens is, is that we have a heart that loves him to the extent that we're willing to pursue what is best for us and that glorifies God. We're willing to pursue him. David is praying, God, would you change me? Would you bring a new creation into my life? And then finally he says, use me. Those God has deeply changed, God can profoundly use. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners would return to you. You would think a guy who's committed this level of sin, certainly we're not gonna let him back into the school, right? It seems nuts. I mean, the people we allow to teach are the ones that have their life together, don't we? They got the masters, the PhD, but see, God, as Paul says, it's in our weakness that his power is made manifest. And God can profoundly use someone who is deeply broken but has been restored through God's grace. And he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, meaning his, his sin, even in human terms, deserved the death penalty. O oh God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness and Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David's confession takes him to a place of wisdom and worship. Because he has this gift that he can connect with another human being and says, I understand. I know what it's like. And yet here is the path of freedom. And when God sets you free, he doesn't do it just for yourself, does he? But he does it to set the captives free. That your story, there's someone in this world, there's someone in this room that needs to hear your story and say, there's hope. But do you realize what we keep from others when we hide ourselves up and say it's too shameful? we keep God from using us. Because in our culture, we want people to be impressed with our talents. Can I tell you, talent's so overrated. God opposes the proud. Where does he show up? To the humble. Do you want his power to show up in your life? Humble yourself before the Lord. And it says, he, he will lift you up. And so notice where David ends. And we're going to look at this next week and finish this out. It says in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. Instead, the sacrifices of God. Notice, what does God want from us? He wants our strength, our talents, our abilities. He wants our broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, which means he wants your need. He wants your dependency. That's what God uses. Because you're not God. And you need him. 
And our sin simply reminds us of how much we need him. So let me invite you and just say, what's holding you back? And maybe today one thing you can do is just examine the lies that you've believed. If I confessed, what would happen? Because we all have that story, don't we? And, And I think it starts in some ways by just simply being honest about where we are. What do I believe about myself? And then turn and say, God, what do you believe about me? And go to this psalm and start to put yourself in the place of David that as he turns to God in this moment of deep shame and guilt, he looks in the eyes of steadfast love and abundant mercy and he is set free. To the extent that his worst moments are written down for eternity for us to see and David has no shame. He only has victory. God can turn our failures into victory if we're just willing to own it. Hey, this morning we're gonna share communion together and it's an opportunity to bring our whole heart to God. You know, after communion, we're gonna have a number of people up front, our prayer team, and so prayer team, you know who you are. Would you please be up front this morning? And if there's anything you want somebody to pray for, would you take that opportunity, that step, even after the service, just to, to come forward. If you didn't grab the elements, we want to encourage you to grab them now. They're available up front and also in the back. And as we hold them, I just encourage you to take that time and whatever God is stirring in you, would you be honest with him? He already knows, but confession means he wants you to name it. And so let's bring our whole self into God's presence and seek him together. Let's pray. Father, I pray wherever we are, we would have that courage to say, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Father, this is where I am. And it may not be where you wanted me to be, But Father, you are a God who redeems broken stories that end in praising you for the rest of our life and into eternity. And so I pray for that freedom in Jesus' name. If there are those that are here today and they're 
they're held down by the enslavement of sin, would you give them the courage of honesty? That they would worship you today, maybe even for the first time in spirit and in truth. That's what you desire, a broken and contrite heart. Father, through the power of the spirit, would you bring that brokenness, that spirit of humility to us that acknowledges we are not God. And so we cannot change ourselves. We need you. Thank you, Father. That's your simple confession. You forgive us and you wash us whiter than snow. And the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread. He broke it and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. So this cup, it represents the new covenant established in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. <clears throat>